Hey guys, this episode is brought to you by Raindance Media. Raindance offer a range of digital marketing services, SEO, web design, pay-per-click advertising, Google Ads, and Facebook Ads management. Rank your business on the first page of Google or build your business's online presence with their range of digital marketing services. Raindance are a boutique agency only taking a limited number of clients. Get more traffic, acquire more customers, grow your business. Don't get left behind online www.braindance.net.au Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Hear the Voice podcast. Today we have two guests, Lauren Moorcroft, Assistant Coach of the North Melbourne AFOW Tasmania Kangaroos, and Kate Upton, Assistant Coach of the Collingwood Magpies Netball Club. Both women possess great knowledge in their coaching fields and they give numerous amounts of insight throughout their journeys. Really hope you enjoy it and I want to thank them again for coming onto the podcast. Lauren Moorcroft and Kate Upton, welcome to Hear the Voice. Thanks, Rats. Thanks, Rats. Thanks for having us. Not a problem at all. It's exciting. It's the first uh, double duo recording that I've had. Um, so it's good. It's good to get you both on and talk about your coaching journeys and your, where, how you've got to where you are now. But first, I think it's important to, for me to introduce you both a little bit. So LJ, Lauren, LJ, you'll be, uh, that's how you'll be referred to during the chat. So assistant, current assistant coach at the North Melbourne AFLW Tasmania Kangaroos. And Kate Upton, senior assistant coach of the Collingwood Nepal Club. Just assistant's fine. Just senior assistant. sounds better. Okay, <laughs> whatever. We'll run with that. Yeah, we will. We will. So, Kate, I'll start with you. During the current pandemic, where do we find you, and uh, what are you doing currently? Uh, you'll just find me at home. I've obviously got three kids, so I've gone from coach to teacher. Um, so we're just trying to stick to a nice, uh, structured routine, which isn't so great when you've got a mixture of ages of high school and grade five and six, but, uh, we're working through it and we're enjoying each other's company. First time in my lifetime that I've been home seven nights a week, having dinner with everyone. So we're in a happy place, which is good. Yeah. They're getting to know you again. Yeah, exactly. That's cool. That's good. And, uh, LJ, how's it been treating you, mate? Yeah, much the same at home. Um, same as Kate, like I have not been home this much during the day and the night times with uh, footy usually taking up a lot of the time. Um, teaching from home as well. So distance learning, as it's called. Um, I've been doing that now for three weeks. This is the third week and a week before the holidays, my school went in as a bit of a, an early um, time to try it out before the term break. So uh been a good challenge but I have been enjoying it so not too bad missing the socialization though it's right up my alley so yeah Yeah. missing that. I think we all are I think it's um the zoom drinks are getting a little bit tiresome there's only so much you can do (laughs) on a computer screen um just I guess segueing into that LJ with your your coaching career let's um let's start with you a little bit and get a bit of an idea of where it all started with you you played um at the highest level for the Bulldogs in, was it 2015 or 16? Uh, 17, year one. 17. Year one. 
Yeah, so um, <clears throat> was drafted to the Bulldogs in year one. Um, went by in an absolute blink, being um, only at the highest level for the year and um, delisted and tried to get obviously back onto a list um, straight away. Didn't quite pan out um, and did a little bit of coaching at talent, kind of level talent pathway with National Academy um, and Calder Cannons, where I met you, Rut. Um, and then from there, um, still played VFL footy up until 2018, um, played and then, yes, got Gowans called me and offered me a job at North Melbourne Footy Club, where I am right now, in the AFLW path. So, yeah, started the coaching um, probably seriously at Essendon when I was a line coach there, playing defence and coaching defence, which was a, an interesting um, part. But... I guess it was that transition between playing into coaching that year where I did both. And then once I got to North Melbourne, kind of had a bit of a serious chat about, okay, now it's time to probably stop playing a little bit earlier than I thought um, that I would and kind of dive into coaching full time. So um, rather than trying to juggle both, but yeah, it's been good. So it's my second year now at North Melbourne. Yeah, excellent. Excellent. I want to dig down into... Um the transition, the conversations, maybe the influences that you had in a moment. Uh, Kate, over to you with your playing. Um, were you playing all sports or was netball your go-to, Kate? Was that the, the passion when you were growing up playing sport? No, I probably didn't turn to netball until I was in high school. And before that, I did gymnastics and uh, played basketball. But I, I think the gymnastics probably ruined for sport and that's probably why I've been coaching for so long so I obviously would have been diagnosed with hip dysplasia but they didn't pick that stuff up back then and I ended up with nasty hip injury where I tore my both labrums and I had to pretty much finish playing at the age of 22 and then I had my first child at 23 so I thought what a better time than to get into coaching so before I had him I started I'd always kind of uh, dabbled in it through high school coaching younger age groups um, and yeah that's kind of how it started so an injury has turned into you know a really really um, positive and passion-filled career for me so I'm kind of very thankful that that did happen. Yeah nice that's good so that's a long a long time coaching for both of you in the sense that you had to I guess stop playing what you loved doing early. Uh, LJ when did that moment dawn on you that potentially you wanted to coach and that's the direction that you're heading did you have as I touched on earlier some influences or some conversations around that was um was the coaching bug chipping away at you pretty hard back then yeah I guess um I played defense my whole kind of career and um I was always having conversations about how to outsmart an opponent I was always studying who I was going to play on which forward it was what they did how their team enters the footy I had a real, I guess, um, bug about learning the game and, and then how to probably combat that opposition. So I think that started a couple of years into playing footy um, at, at VFL level and I had those discussions with my teammates and coaches and then I guess the more I kind of played, I became an experienced player and I tried to um, teach the younger girls, I guess, that style of that footy too, like trying to work out your opposition and what they're doing. Um, then I probably had the conversations around at AFL level. Um, I guess when we started to look at vision and things like that with the coaches and 
um, the AFL coach at the time, Paul Groves, understood that I was probably on that um, that wave and, and understanding what the level I had. Um, and he was trying to tap into that as well. So there was times where I wasn't playing. I didn't get selected, but I was allowed to go into the coach's box. So um, even little bits and pieces like that helped me along the way with other people, I guess, seeing it in me as well. So, um, yeah, probably was always there from a young age. I wanted to be a teacher from a young age too. So I guess it probably lends itself to both. Yeah, it's a cool story. It's really cool. Kate, what about you, mate? Was it a, a progression thing for you? Obviously, with LJ's story, she's on the doorstep of, of um, AFLW, VFLW and networking and making some pretty important relationships in that scene and it's within reach. Um, it sounds like to me your story starts a little bit more locally in regards to your coaching. Would that be fair? Yeah, and I think it probably goes back to when you are injured and you're trying to play at, you know, a higher level. And I was playing state league at the time and just couldn't do the same as everybody else. So you start to obviously be a bit creative with the play and hopefully get everybody else to do the work around you. So you could kind of see from looking back then that you had this creative um, knack for the game of to work out, you know, different ways and different opportunities to get the ball to somebody. So it started there. And then obviously with that, I just went down to the local um, association and started coaching their open side. And I think you start to realise as a coach that you can see things a little bit differently and, you know, all the learnings that you've had leading up to that, it kind of helps to, to grow you and you take that with you. But I think it, it comes with the connections that you have with the players. And I started to realise that I could really get the best out of players by the way that I was approaching them and, and the expectations that I had and kept pushing them. And I think it just grew from there. So obviously then just moving through the pathway of going from association to, to VNL. And then, you know, I think we've spoken quite a few times about it that, you know, I put my hand up for many, many different coaching roles at one stage. I think I had five at the time and, you know, I could coach anywhere up to a hundred games in a year. And I think the more you, you go into it, the more opportunity you get to actually coach in the moment, um, you start to realise what kind of growth you can have and, and how you can actually keep learning and keep enhancing your brain in, in that process. So, yeah, that was probably my journey of, of finding that passion and, and being able to motivate the players to get that little bit extra. That's cool. That's really good. It's interesting when you say, I think, nearly 100 games across a year as football coaches, uh, myself and LJ wouldn't get uh, that exposure or experience. Do you think it can be of benefit or of detriment? I remember um, not too long ago, I was having a conversation with a mentor of mine and I said, I need to try and get more reps, inverted commas, in regards to my coaching. So we only get game day, the quarter time and the half time and three quarter time breaks, maybe a bit of pre-game and a little bit during the week. You don't get a lot of reps as a coach, especially in AFLW. Um, and he said to me, which is a little bit um, on the other side of the fence to what you have experienced, the reps that you do, make sure they count, and make sure they're quality. Yep. Um, how do you, I guess, with all those games and all those different teachings, different personalities, different moments in the games, preparations to the week, how do you um, differentiate your skill set by preparing for all those games in, in a year because it sounds like a massive effort. Yeah, and I think, like, obviously they're at different levels. So the 
I suppose the gift of that is that you get to obviously you don't have to be as focused at some levels because it does come down to the basic knowledge that you have and you can coach with that. But at one stage, you know, when I was at um, footy netball, I would uh, be a part of all five teams that were playing in a day. So the learnings that you get from that and netball is so different to footy because it is short and sharp and you can actually interact with your players from the sideline and coach in the moment. So it it is a different learning um, for us. And I think with that, it, it taught me to be able to remove the emotion and actually focus on the process. And the more I did that, because when you first start off, you know, anyone starts off, you have a little bit of a, probably you could say ego and, you know, it's all about, you know, I have to be a good coach to be able to be successful, to gain respect. And then I think once you start to submit yourself in the sport, you know, as a coach that can be successful, then you start to let go of that ego and you start to really focus on, you know, how do we actually gain something each time we play and how do we learn from that? And the biggest learning for me was going to footy netball and going from one game to the next five hours straight and just learning to stick to the process, stick to the game plan, be very direct, short and sharp, and then just make sure that I let go of that and moved on to the next one. And then that took me into, you know, a really good place for the next level at elite level with VNL and making sure that, you know, I didn't get caught up in the emotion, that it wasn't actually ever about me. It was actually about the players delivering on something. Yeah, it's fascinating. It's a people talk about grinding. It's a, it's definitely a grind in what you're doing, but no secret as to potentially giving you a really good foundation in regards to where you are today at Collingwood, um, which we'll get to soon. But LJ, I don't want to um, push past and push on so quickly with you because um, with Kate and no disrespect to Kate, but she's coaching netball, which is predominantly played by women in the female space, and she is female in case people haven't worked that out yet. <laughs> uh, you're, you're playing football in a period where um, people have high opinion on women playing footy. Some of those opinions unfair and probably, you know, not worth the breath that would come out of my mouth. But it's a challenge for you. And then to go into a coaching uh, space, which is still dominated by males, and even I, I say that now, being a male in, in the female space, it is dominated by males. And... I think we're starting to see a shift, but you were one of the pioneers, I guess, in regards to female coaching. Um, you were doing a little bit at the Calder Cannons. How about you pick up there when you decide to go into some male or youth boys coaching to try and upskill yourself for what was about to come? Yeah, I guess um, early days, well, it's trying to take any opportunity you can because you want to coach. Um, and those opportunities were only in the boys' space. So was really lucky to get an opportunity with Ian Kite at Calder Cannons with you and um, Alicia Reaver and a lot of other coaches that have now come up through AFL ranks, took the opportunity straight away. So coaching 15-year-old boys, I don't know how they maybe responded to a 24- or 5-year-old woman coaching them, but, um, yeah, it was challenging. It was probably challenging as well, and it still is at times being the only woman in the room. Um, but as we know, and probably you know how I operate, Ruts, that um, it doesn't bother me at all. It doesn't bother me whether I'm coaching women or, or men or boys or girls, and if I am that only woman in the room, um, I guess I'm still strong with my beliefs in it too, that, um, and that comes with that criticism that you were talking about that the women's game probably gets that still have, there's a lot of the skills and the intelligence a lot of women plays possess every time they go out onto the field 
I think sometimes the display is not what um, a lot of the critics are used to, um, but with everything, it takes a bit of time. And even looking from year one to four now in the competition, I think we all know how much it's improved. But um, yeah, I guess it's a, it's a bit of a slow process and I think people are trying to rush it in a lot of ways. But I think um, the investment that the AFL have given will be fine. Um, as you can see, the younger players now are trying to, or they are, they're reaping the rewards. So for me, um, it's a super exciting space. And I, and I know that um, sometimes the feedback and the critics can probably get you down a little bit and can probably, um, I know they weigh on the players' minds probably more than us. Um, and you don't want to go out and keep defending your sport and defending your, your code all the time. But um, well, I don't think I'll have to soon enough. In the next couple of years, I think we know how far it's going and, and we can see the future's ahead and, yeah, I won't need to defend it. The evidence is there. Yeah, I agree. I think um, the work that people like yourself and, and the development coaches have put in at, um, at TAC or NAB League level uh, and now at local level, especially with all the opportunities that girls get to actually play footy, they have a pathway now. Uh, when you were playing back at Diamond Creek, uh, yeah. I mean, you probably got to play until you were, what, 12 or 13 years old? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, didn't play past um, past 12 and then went to another sport and then came back, which is just the story for so many athletes now in footy that they've gone across and they've been an athlete, obviously, in another sport and they've they've come back to their footy or they've picked it up um, just recently. So, yeah, same for me. Yeah, and now we see that the opportunities are there, the pathways are there, and as a result, you know, mm. and only just, I think, last night, Maddie, Maddie Press Parkes wins the comp medal and yeah. she's still That's a baby. Right. Yeah, so the yeah. future looks bright for sure. Yeah, and I think the future looks bright as well for female coaches in that space. Um, the AFL is doing a lot to try to now give more opportunity as well. So, um, as I said, about being the only female in the room, that won't be for long either. I think that'll be... You'll see a lot of ex-players now come up through the ranks and um, the development is not there just for the players, but now for coaches and administrators for females too. Yeah, I agree. I also think the best ones are still playing. Um, yeah. I get, I get yeah. asked that a fair bit too. And, you know, we've got a lot of um, women that are playing and they're, they're not full football seasons like the men's seasons. They're not playing 18 to 22 mm. games and putting their bodies through a lot of punishment. They, they are putting their bodies through punishment, but it's a, a two to three month period. Um, a couple more months, including your pre-season. So their longevity forecast to be a lot longer than the males. They could probably potentially still keep playing until they're 30, well, six, seven, eight, depending on who you are. And then yeah. look to go into a coaching career. Um, so it's interesting. I think the best coaches are still running around getting a kick at the moment. And um, in years to come, they'll be putting pressure on the industry and kicking the door in, which is a great thing. I think, you know, the balance will be welcomed when that happens. Um, mm. Kate, in your experience, you've had a little bit of football netball experience um, that you touched on when you were talking about um, football netball. Yeah. Uh, when did it start to get to a stage where in your coaching, what were you doing at the time? Did you have mentors? Did you have aspirations to coach at a higher level? Was it still an outlet because you couldn't play and it was a way to scratch the itch, I guess? Or were you starting to get pretty strong feelings that you wanted to coach at a higher level? 
Uh, I think like once I went into VNL and um, started to obviously be a head coach in my own right for a team, you start to see obviously a bit of potential. And then obviously with our pathway, we have applications open for, you know, state programs and so forth. And so I just put my hand up to be an apprentice coach through there and obviously was lucky enough to um, fall into one of those programs and that's where the mentors probably start in netball um, around that unless you've got someone you know a head coach over the top of all programs through VNL. and once I started in the state programs I had some really great mentors through there in um, Christy Kepich Burrell and Kathy Fellows who obviously were really well regarded um, netball coaches in Victoria and through that you start to just then work through the pathway become an assistant and then um, fortunate enough to have my own team at one stage there and then you move on and we have we have multiple pathways through netball and then it moves into ANL which is the Australian League and then you go into your Suncorp and I just kind of kept falling into the right place at the right time um, it wasn't something that I really aspired to I just wanted to be at VNL and if I got to be a championship coach at VNL you know I was I was ticking the box that, that I'd done what I wanted in netball and then I think once you start to dabble into those programs and you start to get a little bit of confidence, you think, well, maybe this is for me. And it pretty much progressed that way. And then I was just fortunate enough to just keep progressing through the pathway. And again, when Collingwood came up, um, I had a really good relationship with their head coach there in Christie and fell into to that one as well. And and then it just kind of led from there and, and, you know, opportunities open up and, and yeah, you just, I, I sometimes I pinch myself because I actually don't even know how I really got there, but I'm definitely grateful and know that the opportunity may not always be there in sports. So I just kind of keep reassessing my goals and, and making sure that I'm still learning. My biggest thing is learning and making sure that we're giving back to the players and, and getting the best out of the player and making sure that we create really good humans. And if I do that, I'm ticking the boxes and, and, you know, I'm happy with that and whatever happens, happens after that. Yeah, it's cool. It's a cool little message at the end there too about creating better humans um, that I definitely want to segue into uh, after speaking to LJ about her little moment of clarity when she felt um, that she was ready to go to the next level. Do you, can you pinprick or pinpoint a moment, LJ, when uh, you thought, this is for me, I know what I'm on about, um, I'm seeing it. I'm getting good feedback from the players that I'm coaching. Um, when was your moment, mate? Yeah, I think it's probably um, pretty recent, I guess. Um, being at AFL level now, only a couple of years coaching. And then last year, even, I found, I still thought I had my probably player hat on for a lot of time and still thinking, oh, yeah, I'm keen. I'm keen for it. I know I've got the knowledge and I've got really good relationship um, building skills. But I mean, everyone says it's such a high-pressure job, head coach. Can you, can you do it? Is it? And I've often thought that. No, I'm not sure. But then, I guess I had a little bit of um, head coach experience last year, even at VFL level, coaching majority of our AFL program through the winter, um, and got good feedback from that. And then starting to, I guess, take that confidence into AFL this year, change some things with the players. Um, really hone in on how some individuals can probably get more out of themselves and then a couple of structures and things like that that I probably brought across to Scott, um, the head coach, and thought maybe we should give a few of these things a try. So um, probably in the last 12 months, the, the pennies may be dropped, um, I guess. And then the more you watch others do it and then you see varying programs and other coaches and 
you discuss, um, you know, so many of the challenges and, and tactics and things with other coaches, you think, hey, I could probably maybe do um, do this now for a long, a long time, maybe really start to sink your teeth into it. So probably the last 12 months has probably been the biggest growth and um, mental shift for me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it'd be poor of me not to touch on what a week-to-week looks like for both of you women. Um, I mean, it, it may not be obvious, but it, it should be that I know you guys pretty well and you've both had influences on my coaching career in the, in the years gone by, which um, I'd like to touch on later. But I do know that you two guys, without actually knowing each other, you both only met prior to me hitting record. But uh, something that you have in common is your, your work ethic and your ability to grind, um, I think... Uh, Kate with uh, sorry LJ with your teaching as well and getting a balance because you're not full-time in footy and then Kate obviously Mm. striving to get that full-time in netball Uh, LJ I'll start with you what does a week look like when you're trying to juggle and you've got a young son too and balance with that and your partner Mm. and all that sort of stuff how do you how the hell do you fit it all in (laughs) it's hard to remember it was so long ago now it feels um yeah I guess um I'm a I'm a teacher at a private girls school in Melbourne and um that's got its own pressures so I'm nine to draw eight to three there every day sometimes a bit longer eight to four five um five days a week and then from there I'm often going straight to training um and or review so I mean Monday we're reviewing a game still coding and and running meetings around um the previous game on the weekend Tuesday would probably be the one night off Wednesday we would train um maybe thursday too and then friday if we travel or we've got a captain's run they're the evenings um and it's you know work starting teaching wise up at seven thirty-eight, and probably not getting home till you know 10 30 nearly every night so there's one night off training usually when afl is running um and if we've got a game where yeah we're interstate um that whole weekend's usually gone as well and even on the flight, you're home, you're still coding and, and doing reviews. So um, there's not much downtime. The balance is is tricky. Um, juggling my son as well and then trying to stay sane with your partner and, and having a balance outside of footy. Most nights I'd still be talking about footy and talking about the review and what we could have done, what we should have done. And, um, yeah, so it's probably a bit taxing on my partner. But um, I still think... Yeah, balance is really key. Like being able to switch off at some point is is really definitely needed. And only being a few years into coaching, um, I can see why why coaches burn out at the highest level because it is so consuming. So yeah, by still being able to exercise and do your own thing, and you know have that switch off of watching something and reading a book or something, yeah, is is really important. So yeah, sometimes I don't know, ruts. It's the balance might be a bit uneven. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, just you're right. It's a grind and you just keep rolling somehow. I think yeah. balance is the bullshit word that we use to try and make ourselves. Um, <laughs> or when I say balance, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, 70% footy, 30% yeah. everything else. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, it's just a clever, nice little word that we, we play on and the yeah. reality is we probably don't get it. But... Uh, you made a point about the the aeroplane and the airport. Oh. And it's funny, though, if you can get an hour in somewhere that is away from your home life or even 30 minutes, I mean, it could be 
you know, for even for local coaches, it could be at their work on a lunch break or you know, yeah. in the car somewhere. You know, if you can get a little bit done where you don't have to take it home, that's what I found has been the, the yeah. best thing. Because as soon as I start bringing footy home and doing it at home, that's when yep. kids and, and wife start pulling their hair out and going nuts at me. So that's yeah. the, that's the tough one. Well, Kate would be in the same boat, I think, um, when you travel and everyone's, oh, great, you're travelling interstate this weekend for a game. Like, it sounds luxurious. <laughs> you're doing so much work. <laughs> you're in the bubble from um, the minute you get into the airport to the minute you're out and you're still in the bubble when you're fully consumed by it. So, yeah, it sounds luxurious, doesn't it? But it's um, not quite the way it's work. And I think you get less sleep when you travel than you actually do when you're staying at home. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Well, Kate, yeah, well, yeah, especially if you had a few drinking partners and, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's not good. You're there to coach and be professional, remember? But um, but as I That's touched right. on, I, I do know you pretty well both. And, Kate, this part of the story is going to be hilarious because I know that you do ridiculous – well, you did. You did ridiculous <laughs> hours coaching yeah. probably too many clubs at some point, um, being married and with – your good man there for longer than um, myself and LJ have probably been in relationships. So what have you learned out of it? Well, um, I'm really, yeah. Is it um, something that I, I ask coaches often? Well, Brian and I have been together for 20 years. So I'm very fortunate to have a very supportive partner. And I, I remember back when I started coaching and Jake was like a newborn and I'd have seven missed calls on my phone and I'd be like, mate, I'm coaching. I can't answer. Sorry, you just have to deal with it. So I think, you know, as hard as it was for him, having the kids, um, you know, in those early stages set him up and he actually doesn't really like me home of a night. He thinks that I ruin the routine. So we've kind of set ourselves a really good system happening here. But if I go back, like 2019 was a good year because I probably had the least amount of things going on. So I could get a little bit of a balance and I could actually start to look after myself in that process. And I'd get up at 5.30 and I'd go to Pilates and start my day that way. So that I was in a good mindset because we obviously were working five days a week and then travel as well. And you might have a day off here and there. And it obviously three hours travel for me, you know, to and from gave me that downtime that when I got home, I could just be a mum. So that was good. And trying to then still balance getting the kids to and from school and to their activities can be challenging, but I have a really beautiful family base around me with my husband, my brother up the road and my mum, you know, five minutes away as well. So we're fortunate. But if we go back two years, three years ago, I had five jobs. Um, and obviously dealing with the kids as well. So, you know, I would go and work at a sports academy uh, three to four days a week, still drop the kids off, pick them up, because that was my main thing that I wanted to still be there for them. And then we would have obviously training through the, um, oh, I'd go Sunday night training. And then I would have a late session with netball on the Tuesday night. And then I would have it'd either go Tuesday, Wednesday, depending on when we're training. And then I would have Wednesday full day work. I'd get in early. And then from Collingwood, I'd go straight across to BNL and I'd get home at 1230 at night and then get back into work on the Thursday. Then I'd go to footy netball training on the Thursday night. I'd have Friday night off and then Saturday I'd do the five games and then Sunday I'd start again back at blaze. So it was bloody hard. Um, but I think, if you still make sure that you have the relationship connections with the kids, that was probably my biggest thing. And I'd really always make sure I sat down and asked them how their day was and 
sometimes they'd sit up and wait for me and you just got to roll with whatever happens because they need that, you know, that connection with mum as well. Um, and technology is a beautiful thing these days. So you're always connected that way. But yeah, that, w- that was hard. And I think I did that for about three years like that. And I'd have maybe one night at home uh, at dinner time with them. But, you know, it's, it's crazy now. I've, I get to be in a full-time position in, in a sport that I love. So I think all that hard work is probably worth it. Over that course of time, and I know your kids are, are at different ages, but, um, and Brian obviously as well, <clears throat> did you have the open conversations with them about why you were doing it? And did they know the why as to the way you were going about your business day in, day out with the hours that you were putting in? I don't think we actually had the conversation. I think that they didn't know any different and they are sports nuts themselves. And, you know, it got to the point where my daughter now, that's, she comes with me every opportunity that she can, um, unless it's school. And you build a beautiful relationship that way with your kids. The kids were really quite proud of me um, to be able to achieve what I've achieved. So they kind of like the ride. Um, Mitchie says his favourite thing to do with me is to come to Collingwood, clearly not to hang out with me, um, but just to have that experience. So I think they don't know mum any differently. Um, and, you know, they get that time with dad and, and my mum feels that void a lot as well. I have really strong relationships with them, I think, because of that. And I wonder if I would have that if I was at home more. I think you probably make a, a bigger conscious effort to have it because you do feel guilty. Do you, do you get pressure from other family members, members as well? Do you get a little bit of what are you doing it all for? What's this all for? You should be focusing on a different career or you should be home more. And I think it's actually a lot harder. And this is the beauty of having you two on. I get to ask these questions because mm. um, as a guy, I don't think, I've experienced a little bit of pushback from people as to say why you why you're pushing so hard for something you're probably not going to get like the doomsdays and the um, you know the pessimistic people that you bump into along the way. But being female mums, you both are dealing with that perception of you as well, and that's strong and that's a real thing um, that I've seen. I've spoken to my wife about it. Um, people can be cruel, people can be very uh, opinionated on what others do. I don't necessarily believe in it, but it's a real thing. And through your journey, did you have to cope with stuff like that? And if you did, how did you push through it and how did you deal with it? Oh, I'll go. (laughs) Um, (laughs) No, that's right. My, yeah, I, uh, we had a lot of pushback early and it probably wasn't so much from family because family got it and understood it. Um, it was probably more from friends and it would be constantly to Brian, oh, you're babysitting the kids again. Oh, Kate's at netball again. And we had to re-educate everyone that it wasn't netball, it was my job. And even in the early stages, it was still something that, you know, you didn't get paid much, but you're still getting paid for it. Mm-hmm. And it was still a commitment. And I think that's the hard thing is when you commit. And I think, you know, being in, you know, a professional sport, you commit and you have to actually give your all. Sometimes when, when your kids are sick, you know, it's like someone else needs to look after them, unfortunately. And, and you get to a point where you can be comfortable in that environment that, you know, you get a bit of leeway. But the pushback from everybody else outside of your immediate family is probably the hardest. And, Rats, you've probably seen me a couple of times at the footy club just be like, hang on a minute, like, 
they're his kids as well and he works through the day so do i and i work of a night so what's the difference like there is no difference we're in a partnership here and we're trying to give the best life for our kids but also to trying to be in a career that we both enjoy and both love yeah i i totally agree i think um it used to get to me a bit at the start and then i just started to think well there's, there's only one person or five really that i care for what they think and that's brookie and the kids and if i've got them and their support, then that's it. That doesn't matter. Um, not to say that it makes it any easier because it hasn't because you are doing silly hours and you're interstate and things like that. But I think over time, they've started to understand that, oh, this is, the, this is what dad actually wants to do. Um, and the message from my kids, and I do talk about, about it with mine, Kate, as, um, and you said that you didn't really touch on it with yours, but I often tell them, because uh, I was no good at school, I, I really fucked around at school. And... <laughs> go figure huh but um and wasted some opportunities and then i i respect the job that i've got and i like it and it's a great income and it pays the bills and it provides but you know it's not my passion uh, i want to bounce yeah. out of bed and go to work which is my passion and that's coaching footy so that's what i tell my kids it doesn't matter what you do if you can bounce out of bed in 10 15 20 years time when you have to go to work and you love it it doesn't feel like a job and that's tick that's good life i reckon um so that's why i talk about it openly yeah with Brookie and the kids. LJ, what about you, mate? You, you've you gone and, uh, and got yourself a partner right in the football industry, so you guys never get away from it. <laughs> and your, your little yeah, man... Yeah, at the, when I was saying consuming, that's what I kind yeah. of mean. Yeah, he doesn't know who to, who to follow at the moment because there's so yeah. many teams involved in our day-to-day life. But, um, yeah. yeah, my partner works full-time at Essendon um, in the AFL men's program so and travel as well. Um, Ace travels, yeah, obviously a, us- a usual year is a 23 game, obviously, and um, plus finals. So everything's at a halt at the moment. But, um, yeah, the I guess I, did, I never really got a lot of backlash. I think Kate had a really good point that um, it's work, though. And I feel your family now gets that, I think, because they see it and they follow it and they your immediate family. But it's probably, yeah, the outsiders that don't. So... For them, I think sometimes it's just footy and it's it's footy or netball at local level. And for Kate and I, it's it's highest level. And you, Ruck, we're at the highest level trying to break into the elite league and, you know, make a name for yourself and have a really good crack at it. It's not just, um, you know, filling in your, your weekend hours, which I think people think. So I think it's really important to still say it's work. And that messaging, I think, has been important for me as well, juggling two works. Um, at school, obviously, I have to leave a few days as well to travel and get to different things and functions for North Melbourne and different training sessions that bob up. Um, and for them to understand too that, yeah, it's a, it's a work for me as well. I've got to be really careful because I respect, just like you, Ruts, I respect that workplace as well. And I love it and I bounce out of bed for it. But, um, yeah, my passion is, is footy and, um, yeah, I've got to, got to balance the two. Um, but yeah, it's about probably changing that messaging for everyone around you that, um, yeah, it's work and I'm, and I'm keen. And I think I probably spoke a little bit about this earlier with you, Ruts, that, um, and to the group that what your ambition is and to share it. And so that if you share it, people can help you along the way. And I've, I probably learned that when I played at Essendon, I'm not sure who told me, but if you share your goal, then someone will, will catch on to that and tr- hopefully try to help you get there. So if I say to people, 
um, just like you have to your kids. Oh, I want to I want to coach in AFL men's. Like I don't see why I can't. Um, people say, oh, she, she actually is fair income about this. It's not just filling in the hours. So um, I think it's how you how you message it and how you hold yourself. So. Yeah, yeah, couldn't agree more. It's a great piece yeah, of advice. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So uh, we've covered a lot of, I guess, a short part of the journeys uh, and the, I guess, not the, yeah, the difficulty, but also, you know, the challenges and, and uh, we understand that you love what you're doing, both of you, and we understand the progression and where you are. But the reality is at this point, you are both in elite uh, well, it's deemed elite. Um, Kate, you're going to have to bring us up to speed in regards to the netball and how uh, semi-professional or professional they are in terms of their week-to-week. LJ, we know that the footy players aren't there yet, but they're pretty close. Uh, I want to talk about relationships with both of you because, Kate, you mentioned earlier about uh, making better people, I think it was. Um, yeah. Better humans. And this is where we get to put the X's and the O's aside because netball and football, there are some similarities, but there are... Uh, major differences but we can push that to the side I think athletes and relationships is hand in hand with any sport or coaches that we talk about so I want to talk to you guys about your experience in building them um, maybe even your failures I think storytelling around failures is really really powerful and good learning for people that will be listening so Kate do you want to kick us off and, and talk about maybe firstly what it looks like for a professional netballer in your current landscape and then the relationships that you've learned how to build build around that yeah so obviously in our landscape the girls are, are in the club five days a week um so they that's their full-time job and you know still because obviously it is semi-professional and the wages aren't so great they still have to balance obviously some of them work and netball as well so that can be a bit of a, a struggle for them and along with um uni so for for us it's just trying to make sure that we understand the athletes and what they're going through i think you know back if i look back even 10 years ago and, and you know i talked to rob our head coach rob wright um, all the time as to you know what he was like as a coach 10 15 years ago and you just had a different perspective on what relationships were about it was very much you know I come in, these are the expectations, you need to do them. If you can't do them, we'll get somebody to replace you to do them kind of approach. And now it's got to be a holistic approach of coming in, understanding each athlete, understanding what they're living day to day, week to week. And, you know, how can we obviously help balance that in the sense of load, physical, mental, you know, um, that social um, element as well, because, at the end of the day, you know, no one's in a career for a long time and there's only a short amount of time there. So you've got to be able to set your players up for that outside transition as well. So for us, it's it's not only about that weekly grind of, you know, the training, um, but it's also to making sure that we are educating these girls to, to have that balance, to have that connection and to be honest with us so that we can provide the best programs for them. So that's probably the, you know, the challenge because everyone is individual, everyone's in a different situation. And that in itself, once you get to understand that and get to know that, I think that's, you get happy athletes. And when you get happy athletes, you get very good um, performances out there on the court and you get a really well-connected group. So it can be difficult, but, you know, it takes a long time to get to that, I think, as a coach. Um, and I, I, not coming through as a player um, at that level, you don't understand as much. So I think you have to kind of change the way and, and get up with the times. Life's change. You know, we've got so much more that's accessible to us in 
the likes of social media and that. So things impact people a lot more and you can just impact someone's mental health very quickly, you know, with a comment or, you know, an attack at someone that you don't even know. So those things are really important to make sure that we get the right healthy balance um, for our players. And that comes into our week to week of netball as well. How often do you lend yourself to be vulnerable in those um, conversations that you're having with the netballers? Yeah, (laughs) I was a real, not a hugger. Um, you know, be really strong. That's how I was being, being brought up. Even though my mum's quite a softie now, like my mum was a really strong woman. And, you know, I had this strong approach that, you know, you have to be tough and you just have to move on and you have to, you know, just deal with things. Um, whereas now I think having kids kind of softens you. you. You two can probably agree with that, that you look at things differently. And I always say to myself, would I want my kids to be treated like that? Because if I don't want my kids to be treated like that, I definitely don't want someone to feel like that. Um, or make someone feel like that. So, yeah, I think, you know, it's, you change as you grow and I think your your perspective on things changes and your approach changes and you do become a little bit softer. Still high expectations. Don't get me wrong. You know that, Rudd. Still high yeah, expectations. <laughs> um, but, yeah, you, you just change to adapt to, to the times and also to the individuals. Yeah. Not a hugger. No shit. Um, I will be now. I'm missing everyone, so I will be now. Yeah, no, that's good. That's good. No, but I mean, we laugh. Um, and to bring people up to speed, you were coaching the netball at Wandon while I was coaching the football at Wandon, and um, we built a we built a friendship. But also, and then, and you know this because I told you, um, I've used you as a mentor in the past as well in regards to coaching, and um, I've learned a lot of great things. And I think, and this is why I. Um, I resonate with you too and I get along with you too so well is because, you know, LJ is probably not as hard as you, Kate. Uh, you've hit me between the eyes a few times for the, the great of good and it's been great for my coaching. And <clears throat> when I first met LJ, she's a no, a no bullshit type as well, um, especially coming into a male-dominated space is where I met her first. Um, and she was, whether she was feeling it or not, she was very confident and, and strong in her ways and I really liked that. Um, so, yeah, so that's it's interesting to hear that over time yeah, the walls are starting to come down a little bit, Kate, and you're going to start hugging people, which will be nice. <laughs> uh, LJ, relationships, a little bit different for you coming out as a player and playing mm, against yeah. uh, and, and coaching potentially people you've played against and played with. Um, how have you gone about it, mate? What are your... I guess, uh, learnings so far to date with building relationships with your athletes? Yeah, I, um, yeah I'm coaching currently players that I played with um, and they're probably the ones that I um, was concerned about early days the most. Emma Carney, like I'll be front up, like Carnes and I played together uh, at the Bulldogs and in exhibition games prior. And we all know how much of a competitive beast she is and she can hit you between the eyes. And I was thinking, I'm coaching her here and she's going to say, that's bullshit. That's, what are you talking about, LJ? So that was always my biggest fear. But then once I let go of that and just kind of, we've developed a better relationship and we're probably a good sounding board for each other. Um, we've got a lot of trust with each other now too, that I think that is all just pushed aside. So, um, yeah, 
you talk about being vulnerable. I reckon it's really important and being transparent. Um, Kate was talking about athletes being honest with you and I, I feel it's about us being honest with them too. Mm. So at times saying, look, I just don't think you were right there at the right time. Or um, I think when you can you reflect back with a player and say, you tell me what you think and then I'll, I'll give you my spin as well. And um, I think even more now we're seeing a lot of our AFLW players wanting that hard direct feedback more often. Um, they've probably been given the pats on the back probably too much. Now they want to be taken seriously and they want the more direct feedback. So I think it's about also being um, honesty two ways, but also transparency and probably comes into that vulnerability ruts that you like to talk about and like to show. And um, I think if you can show that, they can also see that, hey, actually the coach is a human as well. Yeah. It gets a bit, a bit forgotten when you're talking tactics and you're talking development and skills and how to get, you know, the best out of their week and et cetera. Um, if you get like, hey, this person's got a bit of a life and they've got other things on just than the sport that they're coaching in. So I think that's important. I think um, the empathy piece is huge too, like being able to show and give empathy to your players. Um, and I think you'll get it back as well. And I think that's that part of the transparency. Empathy that not everyone's the same, and Kate touched on it too, that it's kind of you're almost trying to build in a team environment for footy, 30 individual programs on the squad list, but in a team, you know, environment following the scripts and the game plan, but 30 different ways for 30 different individuals. It sounds so complex, but I feel that's what it kind of is like majority of the time. Um, and you can only do that by knowing them really well. So it's those days are gone of just being direct. Um, you know, this is the script, follow it or you're out. We've got to now be able to be flexible and have those individual plans for every single person. So um, it's really tricky, I reckon. Like if you're trying to tell an upcoming coach who's, you know, really early days that <laughs> you need to have 30 different plans but I have one big plan to follow. I'll think, no way, that's way too hard. But I think it's about um, the human side of it too. Yeah, the empathy, transparency, um, yeah, is really key. I think just the trust, like once they know that you've got their back and you want the best out of them, they'll kind of give you it all back in return. Like it just, yeah, it pays dividends. So it takes time. I've, I've felt that two years now it's taken for girls to be like, oh, right, okay. Now we all know each other. We know how you work. They know how each other work. Um, yeah, you'll probably see the same, Kate, with a few years into your program now. you've The cogs are starting to turn really well. Yeah, and they get to just completely understand what you're about and you get that buy-in. You know, for you guys, I have a huge appreciation for AFLW because – you know, it goes back to, you know, probably a level or two down in, in our programs of um, B&L and A&L and just the balance. And I think probably working in those programs makes you understand how hard it is for them and you get empathy for the players that way of having to have a full-time job. You know, some of them living so far away and racing through traffic, like Ruts, you'd, you'd be the same. I know you travel, um, Lauren, I don't know how far you travel, but, you know, that in itself can just be so horrible to experience. The anxiety of not being late for training, you know, getting there on time or, you know, rushing around trying to get your family sorted and then getting to training as well. So I think because they have to balance so much, you have to have so much more empathy 
and you know hats off to any athlete that does it because it's a hard slog but again we wouldn't do it if we didn't love it yeah 100 i think um for us kate um we've had to get really good at knowing what the big ticket item is and i think it sounds a bit mm. harsh but aflw at the moment is like speed dating you don't have time to mm. you know sit down and, and wait and get into, into that lengthy I guess, discussion or relationship, which sounds a bit odd, but the reality is I think players are getting better at this as well. They can park what may be something that's agitating them or maybe even, you know, giving them a little bit of grief. If they think they can handle it, it makes them better uh, in regards to dealing with their issues on their own. And then those big ticket items is that's when they need us and that's when we need them too. I can differentiate between what I need to bring up with someone um, as opposed to do I really need to talk about myself or or put this out there when I know I can deal with that. Um, I don't know if that makes sense or not, but mm. the AFLW has taught me how to differentiate between a big ticket item and something I can deal with on my own or, or I know that a player can deal with on their own. And in that way, we get to know each other probably a little bit deeper, a little bit quicker, because when you are mm. touching on those big ticket items, it could be a family issue, it could be a work issue, or just your, your general well-being at that present time. It, it really opens yourself up because you're talking about something that's really front of mind as opposed to I guess going through that lengthy relationship Kate which you might get a bit more of an opportunity to do uh, and get to know people on a bit more of a deeper level that way I guess if that makes sense yeah and I think you know it's like like home life and uh, you know I said to Bri like let's pick our battles with the kids like you know you know, when you're going to get a good result from them or when you're actually just going to get an explosion. And it's the same in coaching. It's the same principle of what you just said, Rats. You know, it's, you've just got to make sure you understand, is that really important in this present point in time? I need to address that. So that could segue us right now, LJ, into what you've been able to have a think about. We're, we're in a pandemic, we're in a shutdown. Uh, the current state is that we might be coming out of a, an isolation period soon in Victoria, uh, Melbourne in particular. They might relax the rules, but we've had about a month and a bit at it. And as you alluded to, you took a little bit of time uh, before they actually did shut the doors on the schools. So what's um, resonated with you recently? Um, how do you feel you'll be a different coach coming out of this current situation that we find ourselves in? Yeah, I think um, it's given good time for reflection. Um, obviously, we've we've ended like an unscripted end of season. So for me, it'll be, um, I've probably thought about what will I take into the next phase? Like what's going to be um, those big tickets, if you like, that I'll, that I'll take into the next phase that worked really well. And what can we still kind of tinker to stay on top? And we, we were flying and that um, for me, being super honest with you, I'm nervous that people will catch up to us and, try to um, create plans on how to beat North Melbourne. Um, but, yeah, it's, for me, it's about what do I keep? And I think the relationships is um, super, you know, it's a strong suit for me, so I've got to keep that going. Um, yeah, and then also just individually, how do I make each player that 2 or 3% better? Um, yeah, had a, had a great year. Um, I'm really keen on getting a lot of feedback too. I think this is a really good time to take all the feedback, hard feedback if it is, and, and a lot of growth feedback if it is, and try to then decipher it and work out, right, well, what, how can I upskill now? So 
now we've got a bit of time to do it. Um, we don't have a winter season, so we might go straight back into AFLW. So I've kind of got to hit the ground running on my growth as well. So, yeah, a fair bit of reflection I've had. Um, still very hurt that we haven't had a crack at it, um, but we'll get there. We'll get there. It'll be sweeter at the end, I hope. Yeah, it will be. It does make you appreciate, you know, other things though, doesn't it, in, in your life? I mean, footy's a big part yeah. of it. But yeah, it sort of comes, well, not even second, third, fourth, fifth at the moment in line. But Oh, yeah. I feel it's a good reset right now anyway. Yeah. Like, it's a bit of a reset on everything. Like, um, talking about how busy we, the three of us are, probably thought, do I want to continue to be that busy? Mm. And that quality over quantity, like, do I want to do, you know running from job to job and yeah can i do it better probably thinking yeah. that a little bit too yeah yeah that's a good point yeah kate, what do you reckon kate are you feeling the same way mate thing i'm a bit excited to see like we will come out and hopefully have like a four to six week block of training and then go into a season we're not too sure what the season will look like just like afl but um i'm excited to see how everyone comes out of isolation will they be more appreciative of the positions yeah. that they're in um, will we appreciate each other more? We have a really beautiful staff group that is so connected and, and still it's probably you guys will probably be the same. You're just constantly in contact and I really miss that family. So I don't think I'll ever uh, um, underestimate the value of having a job. Um, so I really hope that everyone comes back with that kind of mindset. I think for us going into it, the tricky thing will be who comes out of isolation best. Um, which team can actually switch on and, and move into that transition quickly and then move on to straight back into, you know, getting those basic skills right and getting the structures right and getting, you know, on top of the game plan to move forward into round one. So for us, I really think the focus will be on making sure that we prepare the girls to come out of transition well. Do you think we both or all both... I mean, both sports, but all three of us as coaches, do you think we may get also a better level of trust with the players to, to get things done in their own time, which may even free up more time for all of us to get that balance, athlete as well, as well as coach? Yep, definitely. Yeah. yeah and I think... Of, sorry, Lauren, you go. No, you're right. I just thought this might actually teach us that we can um, work from home more often, yeah. athletes and coaches. May not have to go to the club the 20 hours a week or the 40, 50 hours a week that you have to. Yeah, definitely. What are, what are the hours that you do at the moment, Kate, in regards to hours spent at the club? Uh, spent at the club, it's probably because I, I try and drop the kids off every morning. So I get in at 10. Normally leave potentially, depending on the day, it could be anywhere from four to nine o'clock. Um, so it just depends on the day. So doing that probably five days a week. Um, it's good at the moment when you're in season, it can be anywhere from 35 to potentially 60 hours. Just depends. Yeah. So I guess get, gaining a day could be hugely beneficial, not just for your own preparation, but uh, Brian and the kids as well. Yeah. And I think just then not, taking we'll take away the three hours that i travel i could potentially do the shopping and do some cooking in that mm. time um if i was working from home still ticking the box of the hours but then having a little bit of free time to be able to do the other stuff that i race around and do potentially of a night or on my way home yeah definitely lj do you think the the teaching 
uh, or the education department could look at it like that or do you think it'll be business as usual when you guys get back? Yeah, I'd love to see it um, to move into a bit more flexible hours. Um, we've kind of spoken about it, like if you didn't have a period one class and you weren't due to start till 10 o'clock, could you just come in at 10 o'clock? I think we all know that um, like the teaching profession can really burn you out as well as coaching. But um, yeah, why, do you, why would you have to? And I think this is probably a really good snapshot of so many teachers now have worked out how to you know, be a bit more um, tech savvy and use their hours better. So um, ideally, yeah, I'd love a bit of flexible hours. For me, the balance will be, do I use my flexible hours to go and switch off and do something for me or do I just do some more footy coding or some more <laughs> training plan or you know, whatever it is? Like you end up filling your hours sometimes. That's how I felt I was before this. Hopefully the reset will allow me to go for that extra run or, um, yeah, do something more, I guess, productive in a different way. We so probably know what the answer is going to be. Unfortunately, you're right. But yeah, I'd like to think so, Rutz. What about you? Um, yeah, I'd like to think so too. I think yeah. just trying, everyone, those silly little sayings that we hear, uh, work smarter, not harder, and all that sort of stuff. Well, that's actually, you know, being put in front of us as we speak. Um, yeah. How do we how do we stay connected without actually going to see people? That's yeah. been challenging itself. How do you PD yourself while you're in a pandemic? Um, I spoke to a good friend of mine who is a very well educated man and a bit older than me. And you're probably thinking, why is he mates with you? And I still don't know that either. But he um, he said, what are you going to look like when this is finished? What are you going to be able to tell people that you've done? I think that'll be really important. Um, you know, some of us can fall into the trap of just not doing a lot and sitting on our hands waiting to see when um, government's going to go, okay, as you were. But the reality is it's given a lot of people an opportunity to go, okay, what can I add to my skill set as a coach? What course could I do? Um, mm. Can I engage in a different mentor and, um, and go down a different path and try and educate myself a little bit differently? Um, personally, I'm, I'm going to start a counselling course in June. Um, I started building a chicken coop. I'm not handy. That's been a fucking challenge in itself because <laughs> <laughs> I'm hopeless at it. It's my podcast, Kate, so I can swear anytime I like. <laughs> just, just before you start having a go at me. Um, but you laugh, but that's something that I would never do because of my yes. work and my footy and I'm not home and the kids want one and Brooke's like, you should try and make one. So that's been a little project. Um, and, yeah, and then obviously this podcast is something that I started and I love because it keeps us connected. I've been able to talk to not only you two, Lovely people, but um, some really good coaches and athletes as well. I've only done, you know, four or five episodes. And this is a great way to, I mean, selfishly, I get to learn a lot and listen yeah. um, and talk to you guys and, and take a lot away from athletes and coaches. So little things like that. Um, I guess I mentioned mentors in there. And it's something that I want to touch on with you guys before we, we finish up. And also I would like to segue into what the, the end game is uh, and getting there. So I want to talk about mentors and, influences Kate who do you check in with and who do you regularly talk to they might not be netball people they might not be sport people at all but who do you find when the going gets a little bit tough you're checking in with uh probably the first person um and foremost is probably my mum she's a very level-headed person and I tend to communicate with her daily and she keeps me very grounded um and for not having any sport knowledge she's a very knowledgeable lady 
Um, I'm really lucky. We've got a lot of coaches around. So we have a lot of chats just in hallways and stuff. And, you know, you could probably say I've got a lot of people that I can call on if I need, um, you know, any guidance or any advice. Um, I have a coach in um, at my VNL club who has um, been assisting with me for a long time and she's my go-to person. Um, even though, you know, a title might say that, you know, she, like I, I'm, you know, more experienced than she is, it's not necessarily the case. And I think sometimes we forget to, to look in those, those places. Um, she is the biggest sounding board for me in regards to SSN. You know, I tend to go to her and, you know, what, what should I do? What would I do? Uh, Rob, our head coach, obviously, is constantly um, in conversation daily and we talk through a lot of things. And then we're lucky to have Maxie, who is leadership and culture at our club. So that you kind of tap in a different way there, um, probably a bit more from a player's perspective. Um, really fortunate there. And, and just pretty much, you know, there's, there's lots of people within the club that we tap into. Um, I did have a really good mentor in Cathy Fellows, but she obviously moved across to Adelaide and was in an opposing SSN team. So that kind of cut the ties a little bit there. Um, but yeah, there's lots of people around. I like to make sure really grounded with, you know, good role models in my life that I keep going back to. And that's probably my mum and, and Cal that I constantly go to. Yeah, cool. Um, we'll come back to your, your aspiration with all this leads, but, uh, but LJ, what about you, mate? Some influences and mentors that you were, regularly keeping in touch with yeah I guess um at school there's a couple of um older teachers that I tap into a bit and just um yeah completely not there's a couple of that aren't in the sports um side of things too that I like to gain a bit of perspective from and just different ways of thinking um and my partner thinks a really different way even being in footy and um often will challenge me in really good ways and I find that probably um Sometimes I used to get really annoyed about it, but it actually makes me think in a different way and a different lens. And I think that's super important, particularly if you're having those conversations a lot when you're at home. Um, yeah, and then a couple others from different sports too. And um, I'm really lucky that I'm in the National Women's Coaching Academy for there's six of us in Australia, which are all um, ex-players or current coaches. So... Um, there's a fair bit of ideas being bounced off there and obviously all are at the level um, and in different environments and different clubs. So everyone's getting a really different experience and they're sharing some challenges that are the same and some that are really different and probably working through those together I find really interesting. Um, and everyone's had a different lead-in. So I find it really, yeah, those those conversations are really good. And when you meet up with them on a day, I feel like the day goes so quick because... I want, I've got about a thousand questions to ask them. I only get through about five. So, um, yeah, those those people keep checking in with. Um, I loved this year working with you, Ruts, and, and BG. Um, we had a really good time. We challenged each other um, and we still do. We get, got on the FaceTime the other day and, and had a good chat. And I think um, that's super important because the three of us are really different too. So, um, I think that's it. That's the important thing is not going to someone who's the same as you. I think trying to get something a bit different out of a mentor as well. Different way of thinking. Um, I like that the most. And even, as I've said, and different, complete different perspective from a different area, another sport or another. Uh, one lady I speak to is an English teacher, like completely different to me. Um, but yeah, tapping into those people, I think, gives you a bit more well-rounded 
thinking in a lot of ways. Yeah, couldn't agree more. I think um, also to double down on that, if you can find someone that's actually going to tell you the truth and not be afraid to hurt your feelings because mm-hmm. they're, they're the real ones. Um, yeah. And then and Kate, that's what you can do to me so well and that's what I appreciate. But um, if you can find, if you have the ability to find people like that or you know them uh, as an up-and-coming coach, you've got to go and seek them out because they're the best. Um, yeah. They'll bring you down if you're getting, you know, too big for your boots. And yeah. I'll give you uh, an outsider's perspective as well, which is really important. Um, so, yeah, that's cool. That's good good advice from both of you. So, Kate, what what's it all for? Are you happy where you are now? Are you living a, a, a happy enough life to be content with where you are? Or are you striving to be a head coach in your own right? What's that look like? What's the the dream job look like? Or do you find that you'll always continue to just grind away and never be um, content with what you're doing because of the way you are as a person with your coaching, which is a, a strength, by the way, but it also can be debilitating where you're always looking for that next thing. Um, yeah, I think I, I don't really know. Like, I just want to be the best version of myself and and project that into coaching and obviously, you know, make sure that I'm continuing to give what the athletes need to grow, then, then I'm really happy. I'm really happy where I am. Um, I love the balance that I have as an assistant coach with the family. So at this present point in time, like I'm happy for nothing to change. I think once you've got a good group around you in the staff um, and there's no egos and it's not about a title, I think you become really content in that environment. Um, You'll never be content in high performance. Let's put it that way, but comfortable is probably the word. Um, Look at the moment um, I'm, I'm happy in five years I don't know the answer to that you know I might be like okay I've done that and now I maybe want a bigger challenge as long as I'm still growing and still getting challenged and still being able to contribute in a really positive way um, as long as I'm doing something I love and that's the biggest thing and the the biggest role I want to pass down to my kids is do something that you love um, and then you'll be happy very good that's cool I'm going to put you on the spot, actually, because while you were talking, I was thinking, what if you do get your own coaching job? Mm-hmm. How important will it be to surround yourself with people that are better than you at skill sets that you know that potentially are a weakness? Are you, if you be, I assume you've become, I don't want to use that word assume, um, but uh, I tend to think that you are very self-aware. Yeah. People, people may be listening that could be on the cusp. They could be right there. They could be close to their, uh, their not their dream job or it might be their dream job or it could be really, really close to what they want. How important would it be to put people around you that are, could be better than you or different to you? I think, you know, as you grow older, you learn to let go of, of those insecurities and you, and you grow yourself and you do a lot of self-work to better yourself. You know, it's, it's not about someone being better than you. It's about what is the best possible um, combination to make the best possible team. And I think that if you've got someone better than you, how fantastic, then you get to learn at the same time. So I think that the best team that you can provide is the best possible coaches. And everyone's going to have strengths in different different ways and different avenues. And I think that you need to be able to tap into that to create a great environment and to keep growing as a coaching group. So I'm all for you know, if one day I was to do that, I'm all for getting the best person for the job. As long as, this is the biggest thing, as long as they're a good person and they're there for the right reasons. Yeah, 100%. I couldn't agree more. 
could not agree more. LJ, I think I know the answer to this, but I'm, I'm hope that I'm wrong because surely it can be a little bit more than just being a, a head coach. What, what's the, the aspiration that you want to move on to? What's the big ticket item that you've got your eyes set on? I think I just want to, um, I honestly, I do want to be a senior coach at some point, but um, I want to be in the game for longer. I think the thing for, at the moment, current female coaches in the AFL landscape are non-existent, or if they have, they've been on the scene for a really short time and then spat out, or they've, they've only just started. Um, so I think for me, it's about creating a career um, and the credit behind me to, to stay in it for a longer period and in varying roles. I mean, um, I'm not saying coaching will be forever either. I don't mind the idea of list management, strategy, um, administration side, operation side of things as well. So, um, yeah, I wouldn't want to put a ceiling on that. But um, the game excites me in so many ways. Um, the development of players, the management of players really does as well. So I guess being through it as a player and then as a coach too, I've seen all the facets of it. So um, all of it I really enjoy. Um, but in the next, you know, five to ten, I'd love to be head coach in the AFLW at some point. So um, probably a little bit too ambitious at times, you'd think. But um, I want to have a really good crack at it. No, nah, not at all. Not a, nah, that's where it should be. Yeah, I would Thanks, have uh, not would have had a crack at you, haven't you said otherwise? But it's interesting that yeah. you touch on the, the other areas of the football. So potentially, do you have something in the back of, the, of your mind that um, I'm also getting, I'm talking on behalf of you here, I'm also getting a well-rounded experience in footy as a, mm-hmm. a player, a coach. And if you were to move into uh, an admin or a, a recruiting or a management role, yeah. you've got that foundation that you've, you've lived, you've had that real, it's relatable, which is very strong. Yeah, yeah, I love the strategy side of things. Um, the strategy and the list management side of things I really like. Um, yeah, I guess building a team and um, working towards something and a bit of a longer plan at it. I really like the idea of that. Um, and not to say just in women's, you know, section of, of AFL either. Like I think that's the other ceiling that we keep females we keep putting ourselves on in AFL industry is that I just want to be the head coach of the AFL and AFL women's side well as I said earlier I don't I don't see why we can't why can't you be a list manager in a, in a men's side why can't you be um you know a head coach or um a strategy of a men's side and working in that space so I think it's just because we haven't seen it yet people aren't willing to put their hand up and say I want to have a crack at it but I can't see why not. And, and Kate knows that all too well at Collingwood with so many programs now at that organisation. You'd have a lot of dual um, staff and people spreading across. So, yeah, I think it's about um, not having a ceiling. Yeah, I think, it's a, I think it's a really good point. Like, you know, you go back to you want to be in it for a long time and that's, and mm. Rutz, I've spoken to you about this. Like, it's it's not about a title. It's, it's mm. about wanting to be in that industry for a long time because it's something that we love. And I think sometimes you can jump into that too quickly and you're right, Lauren, you get spat out. And I don't want to be that casualty because I mm. love the environment and, you know, any opportunity that you get to still work in it, no matter what the role is, I think is a great opportunity to learn and grow and add to your, your skill set. So, yeah, I, I love your philosophy on that, Lauren. It's perfect. 
Yeah, I think it's a, it's a fear at the moment, I think, um, for me being, you know, initial phases and in the AFL landscape, when you see other women of great calibre being spat out, it's a fear to not be. So you're trying yeah. to do anything you can to stay in the industry. So, um, and the AFL are really keen on it. I mean, the amount of resources being thrown now at us um, to then develop and, and have more of a longevity is there, but it's it's then down to the individual to build your credit. Like, I think that's the important part. How are you going to go about it and pave your own way? So, yeah. That's a, it's really good. It's been a really, really good way to finish, actually, because both, both of you I asked a question about what's the end game and, yeah, the, the feedback there and the message is to be in it for longer. And like I said to you guys before, that's just such a really good learning for me and I know others will, will take a lot from that. Um, I want to finish up on this and I'll give you a little bit of time to think about it as I explain because I'm going to put you on the spot. But we had a, a guest, Darren Harris, who coaches the Claremont Footy Club. Uh, I had him on last week and he, uh, he had a quote that was brilliant um, that he mentioned. I didn't ask him to give one, but I'm going to ask you guys for a quote that you might live by or you might have just come up with or something that resonates with you. So while you're thinking about that, he, he told me, you can't get yourself wrong. Um, so he told a story about being in a position to go for an assistant coaching job at the West Coast Eagles. Uh, and he went in there and tried to be somebody that he wasn't. And uh, in, his, in his words of wisdom, he said he shat the bed. <laughs> and um, <laughs> he, he, the year after, uh, about the same time of one year, one year on, he went in there and he was himself um, and he got the job. So, and the message was, you can't get yourself wrong. And it resonated with me a lot. Uh, something that I'll write down and I'll, I'll take it with me for the rest of my coaching. What have you guys come across or learned or been told in the journey in regards to a quote or something that has really resonated with you? Really hard, Rutz. Well, we, yeah, I think um, we had a brief chat the other day about challenging and um, I've decided, um, and it probably sticks a little bit about being that woman in the room, to not, um, I guess, to not be shy to challenge. I think it's really important that um, we came across it a lot this year. And if, if you disagree or if you um, have other ideas and you want to put it on the table, you've got to put it on the table because no one else is going to say it for you. So um, I think that's about being really strong with what you believe in. And um, yeah, don't be afraid to challenge. I think, I think at times you get afraid to challenge that you might get the sack or people think, what the hell are they talking about? But um, yeah, I'm really strong on that. I'm I'm not going to back down if I um, if I see that there's another way to do it. So may never get picked up. Maybe an idea that doesn't get used. Um, but I think I learnt that a bit through you as well this year, Ruts, to to make sure that you challenge. Well, he actually made a comment. I'm referring back to Darren. Uh, it's interesting that you say that. So when he got the job at West Coast, and so now he's got the job, and um, he tells a story where. Uh, Peter Sumich, who was an assistant coach at the time there as well. It was in the 2006 year when they won it, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were about six or seven rounds in and they were walking somewhere together um, and they'd just come out of a meeting. And Sumich turned to Harrow and said, oh, well, that's about time. And he goes, for what? And he goes, for you to fucking speak. Welcome to the party. We've been waiting. Mm. We've been waiting for you to be yourself and, and bring it to the party. So in what you're saying if you're thinking it within reason, you should be saying it and putting it out there because it's only for the better betterment of um, benefit mm. of the program and the individuals around you if it's coming from a good place. And yeah, definitely uh, good advice there, LJ. Um, 
speak your mind. It's a, it's a powerful thing and I don't think we do it enough. We're worried mm. about getting the sack, like you said, but we should just be worried about how to get the program better or get the people better. Yeah. Um, Kate, what do you think, mate? You've had a little bit more time to have a think about it. Yeah, and I think, you know, the biggest lesson coming through is don't try and be somebody else. And it's exactly, obviously, what you just spoke about. But my probably biggest thing now, it, it comes down to, you know, you can kind of hear your parents saying this is, it's not what you say, it's how you say it in that moment. And that's, you know, how you're going to get a response that you need from those players or from your staff. So I think, you know, definitely don't try and be somebody else, but also to just be mindful of how it's coming out and the perception uh, from somebody else. Mm, for sure. Well, we've touched on a lot of things, ladies. We've, we've heard about your, your brief journeys. Um, we didn't go too deep. I was really conscious to get your philosophies and your, your current thoughts on coaching and relationships and pathway and, and how you, you're setting yourselves up for the future. And I think we've, um, we've definitely gone above and beyond that with the chat. And um, it's all credit to you guys. And I uh, loved having you on. Really enjoy the talk. And I enjoyed talking to you separately. And maybe even again, we'll get you back on and in the future and talk some more coaching when we're uh, out of isolation and getting back to doing what we love. But uh, thanks again. It's been awesome. Thanks. And thanks, Lauren. It was lovely to meet you. Thanks, Kate. You too. It was excellent. Thank you. All right, ladies. Good times, Rats. Great Very good. Yeah, good stuff. So take care and um, we'll be in touch, all right? Good on you, Rats. Very impressive. (laughs) See ya. (laughs) See ya. Hey guys, thanks for listening. Really appreciate it. Be sure to share it on all your social platforms or even text an email and please stay tuned next week for another episode of Hear the Voice. Thanks again.